we got we got sound we got sound Dang. we we got rolling we, yeah. we 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 starting up in a three what? two what? you're listening to missing out with lex michael and tari j let's start the show Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. Miller, and I'm here with... Lex Michael. Yes. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so we can be in your feed on iTunes every week, every Tuesday. And if you love what we're doing, make sure to leave a comment, because that really helps us get to the top of the charts, helps other people find us, and helps other people know that what they're missing out on and what you're missing out on and it helps everyone else enjoy things yeah and you don't have to work that hard either i mean even just like hey that's something that's better than no comment it's true people love really succinct comments yeah uh, also five stars yeah things. if you if you rate us five stars and then you you just write like hey with a lot of ease oh yeah you'll show your enthusiasm right that way and like again it only takes what 10 seconds tops out of your day pretty much if you have a decent internet connection yeah if you feel like doing a little bit of flourish maybe like mixed cap e so it's like capital e lowercase e capital e capital 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 lowercase capital lowercase capital 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 and sold and you could even do some punctuation yeah like you know like a obviously exclamation point i would think big you know uh very effusive period though you could be very you could be stoic about it but but assertive hey or maybe you know what? Maybe you're not sure. Maybe it's like you're new to the to the show, and you're like getting your bearings, and it's question mark. Hey, yeah. It's like, is this a safe space? It is. By the way, it's a very safe space here. Um, the safest. Yeah, five stars. Hello. <laughs> um, and while you're at it, if you feel like keeping uh, track of us outside of iTunes, you can hit us up on Twitter at Missing Outcast. That's our Twitter. And then we also have personal Twitters. Uh, mine is Tari J. Mine is at the Lex Michael. Cool. And now that we've gotten all of that, like, you know, shopkeep stuff out of the way, we can talk about our great movie of the week, uh, which is Set It Off, directed by F. Gary Gray. Yes, another S- F. Gary joint. Oh, yeah. I love F. Gary Gray. That sweet, sweet F. Gary. Mm-hmm. F stands for Felix. Uh... Um, and it's also like a really star-studded cast like we had Jada Pinkett now Jada Pinkett Smith yes uh, Vivica A. Fox uh, Queen Latifah Kimberly Elise who this was her first motion picture it was she gets the introducing Kimberly Mm -hmm. Elise credit but then she's been in so many things a lot of stuff with Denzel Washington Uh, like she was in uh, John Wick not John Wick Uh, what is the 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 hospital john movie. q john q um she was in I, you another- know what i've never seen john q I'm, I'm like obviously i know what it is i know the title and i know it's a denzel movie and yeah. he's in a hospital but now that you've uh half confused the title with john wick i'm imagining a movie in which it's, it's something to do with saving his son right yes so like to save his son who's laying in a hospital bed he he murders everybody in that hospital with headshots <laughs> it's a little bit like have you seen furious seven Yes. So it's a little bit like the opening of Furious 7 with the hospital, only mm-hmm. you watch Denzel Washington take the entire hospital apart Ooh. to save his son. I would watch that. I would definitely watch that. Is that not that. what John Q is about? Um, it is mostly that. Uh, he takes the hospital hostage. Oh. Um, there might be a headshot. Okay. 
but I don't get, even get somewhere. know if it's him that does I'm it. I'm more excited to watch John Q knowing there's a headshot in yeah. it than I think I we would should do otherwise. an episode on John Q because uh, that was another one that I used to watch that uh, was it was it's a real good Denzel movie, um, especially if you watch all the behind the scenes where he's talking about getting into character and uh, fumbling with the gun and things like that because he really didn't want this guy to seem like a a good hostage taker so there are all these moments where he's like fumbling about and doing the wrong thing and he's like i really wanted to convey that anyway that's not the movie we're talking about today that's fun yes uh uh, back to 1996's set it off but you said you just referenced uh john q being a movie that that when it was uh available around back in the day as it were that you would frequently seek out uh presumably set it off is another such film. And I guess I wanted to start out because I had never seen it. I was, of course, yeah. familiar with it. I didn't really even know what it was about. And uh-huh. we can we can get to in a minute how I ended up really liking this movie. Mm-hmm. And I did not know what to expect from it. Because when I even when I started digging a tiny, tiny bit and I, I figured out what the general plot of the movie was... Uh, my expectations were calibrated in such a way that I, I felt like I was waiting for, I mean, like a typical mid nineties action heisty movie. So I figured it would be fun and I saw who was in it and I'm like, okay, well I like these ladies. I'm sure that they'll be very likable, very watchable, Mm -hmm. but I was expecting something a lot lighter not yeah more uh frivolous almost like like i did not expect to become as invested as i became i didn't expect i expected to like the actresses i didn't expect to like these characters as much as i ended up liking these characters right and it gave everything uh much more much more weight and a lot more gravity and like you you watch you know, there's a there's a car chase in the middle of this movie, and if mm-hmm. you really just if you break down the the technical aspects of the car chase, it's a it's a very well put together sequence. Yeah. But you could take that sequence, and you could find a very similar sequence in any number of action movies. But what makes this sequence work so well is by the time it happens in the movie, you or at least at least I was so invested in the characters that. Uh, there, there felt like there were stakes that existed uh, at a level far greater than I'm used to seeing in action movies from the mid '90s. Yeah, which again, not wasn't wasn't expecting. But so for you, you've obviously spent a lot more time with this movie. You've had many more experiences with the movie, presumably, than I have. I guess I want to know where your love affair with Set It Off began. What what does it? For you, what made you want to bring it in and talk about it on this show specifically? Um, so, set it off. My first exposure to it, uh, basically, uh, when I was living in East Palo Alto, like we just off of the Friday craze, we it had come out, and my mom and the rest of my family were big big Jada Pinkett fans and also Queen Latifah, Queen Latifah being like this really big uh, music artist and also uh, star of one of our favorite shows. Uh, Living Single was a, a show that we were really big fans of. So uh, we, we, we went to see this movie because it had a lot of people that we really enjoyed. And d- never did I know at the time that it was going to be the first movie that like made me realize the world was a sad place. Oh, really? I, yes. Well, um, I guess I guess that's fair because we really do see we see these ladies get dealt some 
pretty nasty hands. And like that was another thing that I was not expecting is to feel so with obviously without uh, seeing my own personal life experience reflected in the movie, feeling so connected to everyone's motivation. Yeah. Like nobody's deciding to rob banks on a whim. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, they're actually very, very real, uh, severe motivations that, that lead everybody to make this decision, like yeah. in a very believable way. Right. That's actually, as an adult coming back to the movie, I, I realized how well they set up the, the robbing the bank sequences and, and all the motivations. Cause we don't get a bank robbery with the exception of the inciting incident until probably about an hour in. And most of the rest of it is setting up who these women are, putting them in dire straits. Like everyone has a believable and like, really i guess heartbreaking reason to get into bank robbery with the exception of uh queen latifah cleo queen latifah's character but who, i feel like she gets into it you you buy or at least i buy that she gets into it because a at first it's because she loves her girls basically yeah but then she just starts getting real into it oh yeah like and i i feel like too there are types in this crew that you see in a lot of these movies, mm-hmm. but what this movie does, and I feel like relatively few heist or bank robbery movies take the time to do is yes, we use these types as a basis for our characters, but like they really all feel like unique fleshed out people. And I wonder how much of that existed on the page and how much of it was created by the combination of cast members, because I would have to imagine you put those four ladies on a set together you give them an opportunity to go a yeah. little bit. I would have to imagine you'd get something out of that that would be, if not amazing, spectacular, some of the best off the cuff acting <laughs> we've ever seen. Certainly of use. Yes. Well, so uh, the the writer Takashi Buford, um, when he was brought the, he was basically pitched the idea, which was uh, you know a heist movie, but with black women. And he sat on it for a little while. And at one point he met this woman in a bar and she had talked about how she had pulled off a certain amount of just like robberies and things like that. And that kind of got him started on the whole thing. And then he at some point met four women who basically were like Stony Cleo, TT and um, Frankie. And then those basically formed into the archetypes that became these characters. You know, the one who has all the knowledge, the one who is not as into it, but like is doing it because they have to, the one who is doing it because it's a, it's a thrill. The one who is essentially uh, just trying to get out, which is Stoney, who is who one would argue is the main character of the movie. Yeah, okay, so one of the first things that I, I, in hindsight, sticks out to me is that, yes, by the end of the movie, it definitely seems like Stoney is our, if we have one main character in our core group, it would probably be Stoney. Stoney's the one who gets, for example, she gets, of course, the the motivation of having her brother killed. She has the romantic story in the movie, while everybody else, their story is primarily based around, even though everybody has ancillary things going on. Yeah. We get we get a, a plot for her that until the end, when they have to rob the bank that Blair Underwood works at, is essentially completely ancillary from 
the bank robbery stuff. Yeah. Um, and she's, of course, uh, spoilers, the one who gets to walk away at the end or ride away on the bus. And, and I guess her life is is pretty sad. So she gets a haircut and she gets to like drive away. <laughs> like like the ending, by the way, reminded me of the end of Terminator, except she's not driving towards a storm. Right. But she's she's driving away in the in the Jeep. Anyway. Yeah. It's it's the beginning of Black Terminator. But, <laughs> Black Terminator. but having uh, having said that. We start the story with Frankie, yeah. and it seems like an interesting structural choice to me because it really, until the titles, seems like we're very much in Frankie's story. Yeah. I mean, I think that I actually feel like the with the way that the story goes, beginning with her and then having that ending piece where she is with John C. John C. McGinley, yes. um, like right before she dies, it is essentially her... She has the biggest arc, I think, in that, like, she starts as this woman who is very much just trying to work within the rules of the world around her. She gets messed over and then essentially goes on this ride to become this dark character. And it's it's ultimately an expression of her just fighting against what she feels is injustice. And it's so... I, I did really like her arc uh, quite a bit. Uh, and it, it it is so... It is maybe the most tragic of the four... Even more so than than TT's arc, which is devastating yeah. at points. Uh, but there's something so dark to me about the fact that she was she was fired entirely unjustly mm-hmm. just because they were under the impression that maybe maybe she had some connection to this robbery at the beginning of the movie, and she gets pushed into contributing to this little heist crew because yeah, it's a way to essentially rebel against what exactly what you were just saying against what she sees as unjust and in the end she ends up becoming exactly what they suggested she was and there's Mm -hmm. something to me so so like uh uh, deeply deeply sad about that um but you brought up john c mcginley and i wanted to talk about john c mcginley if only briefly because i think he's great in this movie yeah his character is how do I his character doesn't feel like a real person on the page he imbues it with a lot of reality and a lot of humanity and I end up buying the performance yeah but I'm listening to the dialogue and I'm really like taking a step back and looking at the situations he's in he feels very 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 much like a stock 90s cop character yeah but McGinley's performance for me, totally sells it. Right. Like, he brings the humanity to this character where if you had a lesser actor, that character would essentially be not even a non-entity, would be a laughable cliche, mm-hmm. I think. But you bring in an actor like McGinley who can take take that on the page yeah. and bring a reality to it and bring a heart to it. And I don't think that character could possibly have worked otherwise. Yeah. Well, I think it was originally written as just kind of a... a stock character just to kind of keep the plot moving in terms of he the really, other he side. He really did feel like very much like we got to check in just to keep the story moving along. Right. We got to tighten that net little by little over the course of the movie. So here's this cop character again. Yeah. yeah. But then like F. Gary Gray in, in there's like a behind the scenes featurette where he talks about bringing in uh, John C. McGinley and knowing that essentially he wouldn't have to direct him at all, really, because he would bring in all these different layers to it. And also, like, John C. McGinley got so into it that he spent some time with a retired LAPD officer and was like, I need to make sure that I'm portraying this as realistically as possible. So no matter how it was written, he brought in so much that they just kind of let him do whatever he wanted. Okay. 
Yeah. That, but see, that tracks for me. Because, again, it's like the lines he has to say, for the most part, again, feel very cliche. Right. Uh, but it, it really is. It's the way he plays every, not just entire scenes, but the way he plays individual moments and the way that he ends up at least trying to connect with some of these girls. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, honestly, I feel like it shouldn't work for me, but it does. Yeah. Can I talk about Blair Underwood for a second? Yeah, let's talk about Blair Underwood. There are, there are a lot of different things that we got to hit specifically, and Blair Underwood is definitely one of them. I, <laughs> I, quite, I quite like Blair Underwood in this movie, too. Yes. Go. What, is, what do you want to bring up? I just want to talk about how smooth he is. So, yes, incredibly smooth. I feel like we need to talk about the sex scene in the middle of the movie where suddenly I'm watching Cinemax for like five straight minutes. <laughs> in my in my notes, uh, I put I just put this sex scene. Oh, man, because it it goes for quite some time. Yes. And that, now I suppose I suppose in a way it is earned because the first sex scene we see in this movie is 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 upsetting yes it's very upsetting right uh stony needs needs money essentially and she she is literally prostituting herself mm -hmm. and it's it's crushing yeah it, it really is upsetting to watch uh because it is so sad and so empty so i totally accept that as a counterpoint to that we want to depict this sex scene in the most passionate like hot erotic way possible it's just that we do it for like five straight minutes of screen time. <laughs> yes. I think my biggest, uh, if I had an issue with it, I think it's mostly. <laughs> and this isn't so much that I have an issue with it. <laughs> no, no. But I, we got we got to minute, what must have been, maybe, who knows, maybe the sequence is only really about two minutes long. It feels like five straight minutes. When I got to what felt like minute four, I was just like, <laughs> wow, we're still, we really committed to this sex scene. Yeah. Well, the, the issue is that it was a lot of repeating scenes of him being like, I'm going to put lotion on your butt. <laughs> and it's just like, but his his butt his chest but lotion but face but <laughs> and you're like okay are they gonna like do it or is he just gonna massage her butt this is actually it's not it's more of a massage sequence than a sex sequence right. i suppose when you describe it as such well because they have sex in the very last like 30 seconds of it but like all of it is like it's just like inner cuts of like candles and massages and butts uh which i don't mind seeing jada pinkett's butt it's a nice butt sure i just feel like if you're gonna have a sex scene let's let's put some sex in it or just like have it be the the like insinuation of sex and then slowly pan away and then, like, maybe as they're doing it, being like, I like what's happening to me, contrary to previous scenes. And then, like, that's it. She's just yelling, this is better. <laughs> yeah. Blair Underwood has no idea what she's referring to. Right. Doesn't mind. He's like, I'm, I'm assuming you mean in, in comparison to every other man you've ever been with. Thank you. She's like, sure. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, um, since you brought up that really sad harrowing sex scene with um the guy from night court uh <laughs> i uh it the whole stony story sorry i'm have, i'm almost getting emotional again think sorry this is the only sh movie that makes me emotional really it's very yes i haven't cried not, in not a really thing. by the way not really as in like i can't believe this movie makes you emotional i totally get it but this is the only one it's yes so i don't i, I don't think i've cried in a movie in years 
until last night. So the only thing that have the only pieces of media that have made me cry have been in the last decade has been Hamilton. Okay, fair. And this last night when I was watching it. So what we need is Lin Manuel to do a set it off musical, <laughs> and you will never leave your couch. Oh again. my gosh, I'll just be a puddle of sadness. <laughs> um, but her whole the whole thing with her having to um, like prostitute herself out, and then it ultimately being meaningless, and then having her brother die. That like triggered me hard well and it's so like yes the movie has a very 90s aesthetic but as far as subject matter none of this feels dated in the slightest this is feels this feels distressing doesn't go far enough describing the feeling i get when you consider how current almost all the subject matter is right with the exception of i would imagine it's slightly more difficult to just waltz into a bank and rob it now than it would be in 96. Yeah. But that aside, no, most of this, it's real jarring how relevant all of these motivations still feel. Right. Yeah. And just that, that moment of having her, her brother killed because he, he's pulling wine that he can't lay on out of his jacket and essentially having another innocent death on the, on the, at policed hands, um, hyper, hyper relevant and it's it's a thing that like people forget that it's a thing that's been happening since you know forever since there have been police yes yeah um but now there's we're able to shine a spotlight on it and not for nothing too like this is another instance in which i really have to tip my hat to mcginley because that sequence should end any possibility of you liking his character at all mm-hmm. you you should never after that happens after stoney's brother is killed for n- no reason at all that should be it yeah like mcginley should essentially be your villain if there is a villain of the movie it should basically be that guy and you still end up weirdly liking his character by the end mm-hmm. well because there's a feeling that it the way he plays it, there's a feeling that it's not malicious. No, and, not at all. And, and you it, feel like genuine regret from him as well. Right. I think that's the main difference. Like, And contrasted to his partner, who, as a black woman, doesn't even feel phased or even uh, like regretful about it. She's just like, we yeah. ended up getting the right man, so who cares? Just another casualty. Yeah, and he, conti- throughout the movie, continues to have to try and... Tell, like tell her to back off a little bit yeah which i think is interesting yeah um and which is it's not like telegraphed but i guess it's kind of telegraphed in the in that first scene with them and vivica fox where she's there the uh partner is drinking her water and vivica's like sister you ain't even offered me no water like that was a real that was a great moment oh yeah um, I believe that was part of what she had auditioned with that scene, and it, she ba- she didn't get any direction. She came in and and nailed it from the beginning. Anyway, just a little piece. Um, but but you t- and I, not to interrupt you, but like you yeah. talk about these little moments. We set up something in that first scene that we pay off in Vivica Fox's final scene, mm-hmm. which is where she realizes. I think she realizes in that last scene she's she's done. They got her. She's not the. the she's either dead or she's going to jail. Right, and she pulls the gun on McGinley and puts it to his head and throws back at him. Like what is procedure when you have a gun to your head? Mm -hmm. That's a really, in my opinion, a really elegant payoff. And like, yes, it's, it's very, 
it in the moment i guess maybe elegant is not the word you would think of because it's a very it's maybe an on the nose moment in context okay. but i feel like the way we set it up and paid it off was very nicely done yeah i mean i would use elegant because it's 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 so cyclical and kind of going back to what you were saying in that like that moment was essentially the culmination of her becoming what they thought she was which i mean speaks to a uh, a whole nother uh thing and that like that's part of growing up in the hood and that like you either uh you either advance or you become what everyone tells you that you're going to be um so that's its own thing but like that moment essentially culminating in her going out in her own way uh she could have just given up and maybe gone to jail or like tried to fight it in courts. But like, essentially it was over for her and there was no, there was the only way that she was ever going to be free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I all of that I thought was really nicely done. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, the movie has a number of things that we set up and we're definitely doing setup work, but it doesn't feel like setup work in the moment. Yeah. And we develop pretty fully almost every character we spend any amount of time with like now specifically i'm thinking about luther and how in any number of other movies he i think you wouldn't take the time to really flesh out luther and give him uh, give him that much to do early on give him a real relationship really like uh, give him a a personality yeah and i like that we we really uh, we take the time to do that just so he can take their money and sell them out later, essentially. Yeah. Um, but I really like a lot of those moments early on when he's given them shit and they're giving shit back to him. And there's a line that I took uh, down in my notes because it felt like if anything dates the movie, occasionally it'll be certain references. Like, for example, there's a moment where uh, I think it's it's Cleo basically... Uh, uh, What's the word? Admonishes. There we go. That's the one. Admonishes <laughs> Luther for the way he's talking to TT. And he basically gives her shit for, for her attitude, like standing up for her, whatever. And I feel like in 2017, now where superhero movies are really common, mm-hmm. the reference would be something like, oh, what do you think? You're Captain America standing up for whatever. But the reference, the exact line he says to her is, what are you, a goddamn Mighty Morphin Power Ranger? I'm docking her pay. And I'm going like, oh, that's a super 90s, like we're not inundated with superhero content yet well reference although having said that luther might make the exact same reference today because i also buy that luther maybe doesn't watch all the marvel movies that's true or also we did literally just have a mighty Morphin power rangers movie we did which by the way have you seen it yes i have it's bonkers it's 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 real interesting it it starts out as one movie that i was surprised at how much i enjoyed and by the end becomes a completely different movie Uh uh-huh that I ended up enjoying anyway. I feel like the moment where spoilers for 2017's Power Rangers when the the robot no it's like when Elizabeth Banks is taking apart the city and the robots are coming and Power by Kanye West starts playing. I'm just yeah. like this is way too crazy for me to be mad at at all. <laughs> I well yes. So I think that if you can take them as two separate <laughs> movies, they're really great. Uh, I think that everything pre Goldar is that's right, gold, Goldar. Uh, uh, and I think that everything post Goldar is funny and interesting. But I think if you take the movie as a whole, um, it's it's a little rough. Um, but I think the best joke is the 
the Krispy Kremes. I think that Remind, I don't even what is what was the Krispy really? Kreme show? Krispy Kremes is where the the like heart of the whole like planet is. And so Goldar needs to get to Krispy Kreme in order to get the the heart of the planet. Somehow I don't remember this. That's crazy. But I remember it was I remember so the one prominent. kid being like, Come come at me, bro, whatever it was. But like no, I man. don't remember the Krispy Kreme there's thing a, anymore. There's a scene where she was eating a donut. And yes, in Krispy yeah, Kreme, yeah, 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 and like yeah, there's yeah. a fight outside, That's and right. you're like, "What is happening?" That's right. See, once, but like again, once once power started playing, I feel like that overrode <laughs> any any other thing I was focusing on in that entire third act. Yeah, I just remember like t- total chaos, buildings coming down, the Megazord just like throwing punches or whatever the crap it was doing, uh-huh. and Kanye. <laughs> um, I mean, but. Set it off was pretty consistent throughout it. Uh, the third act. <laughs> yes, look, was at, look at how really... nicely you dovetailed mm-hmm. back into that. Um, but like the character of Luther, I actually, another character I ended up liking. Um, but there are, there are little pieces of personality yeah. all over this movie. And there are little bits of, uh, again, like we have a foundation where it feels like we, I feel like we use the same foundation for just about every heist movie that there is. Um, but within that foundation, there's little bits of, yeah, personality, but also quirk and different, not just in terms of character interactions, but also like uh, certain visuals when the, okay, there's that bank robbery where Cleo drives the truck through yeah. the wall and knocks over the that big stand of teddy bears mm-hmm. that's in the bank for some reason. Um, and then when McGinley and the rest of the officers are at the scene after the robbery, you have this really cool visual of teddy bears strewn all over the floor of this bank. Yeah. Like, I really like little touches like that. Yeah. I also, just speaking of that scene, really like the moment when, like, as they're leaving, TT uh, grabs one because she has a son. Um, and also, earlier in the show, we get a, or not show, but movie, and they get a reference to um, to Queen Latifah looking like Sugar Bear, and I, I felt like there was this <laughs> when they when they are, when they're getting high together. Yes, when Stony gets high, she <laughs> looks like Sugar Bear. Um, but speaking of that, the them th- driving through the bank, it like is hard to believe that this movie was made for only nine million dollars. Yeah, really. Yeah, and it, it was only not not for nothing was. Uh, unless I'm very much mistaken, was only F. Gary Gray's second feature yep. after Friday. Mm-hmm. Like, he... We're, we're dealing with a big escalation in terms of scale. And even though Friday has that moment where the van pulls up and, like, you know, they get open-fired. open, fi- open fired. Can I use that yes. that way? Does that driven grammatically by? track? Yeah, they get driven by. Um, but that's all we really see in Friday as far as any action sequences are concerned, except occasionally, you know, you watch them run away from things. Yeah. We up the scale enormously from one movie to the other, and I mm-hmm. feel like he handled it real well. And then, of course, it's real easy to track F. Gary Gray's progression from less so from Friday, but very much from Set It Off to Fate of the Furious. Mm-hmm. In terms, of, it's just like, oh, we just took what he could clearly do, what he demonstrated he could do with Set It Off, and just took it to the craziest place possible. Right. Um, and they were able to get a lot of. A lot of crazy stuff just for that because we had the bonkers ending car chase um, with like helicopters and and numerous car crashes, things like that. We've driven through buildings, numerous buildings, in fact. Um, And then we had elegant scenes where that had like hundreds of extras, even just like through the car chases, but also the um, the 
dinner party scene with all those people in that gallery had to also be super expensive. Um, yes. So they really stretched their budget and made, I want to say, four times overall in gross back. So it was like a $36 million uh, gross. So it did real well, given oh, yeah, its budget. It did great. So here, okay. So here's something else that is not uh, specifically connected to this movie, but also is. Okay. Uh, one, one thought I kept having during Set It Off is, all right, so now it feels like in 2017, it feels like we are definitely making steps in the right direction as far as more diverse representation in media. Obviously, we've still got a long way to go, but right. we do feel like, or I feel like we are making gradual steps. But what I found really odd is that it feels like now, every time that we get a movie with black leads, it it really does legitimately feel like cause for celebration a little bit. Yeah. I'm wondering when we took that step backwards, because I feel like in the 90s, and maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't as many movies a year as had white leads, but I feel like we didn't think of it as that noteworthy. We just think they were releasing movies like Set It Off. There was Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker starred in two Rush Hour movies that made a bunch of money and nobody batted an eye. Right. I find it odd that we, I don't know, I feel like we took a weird step back at some point. Um, well, I think the main thing, the main, I guess, transition point was when studios started realizing or i guess not realizing but studios decided that they couldn't take as big of a risk because you know movies are million dollar investments so they decided to start the cheap doing... ones are million dollar investments now right um so like this movie was made for nine million dollars which if you scale it was is probably i think now let's say it's like a 80 million dollar movie um, just for sake of scale and inflation is the word I was looking for. Um, so I think at the point that studios started doing movies that are based on existing properties, which, you know, have uh, specific If leads. a property has been a media presence for 75 years, odds are it was created by white dudes. Right. Odds are it stars a white dude. Right. Uh, so the the moment that they decided to stop taking risks in terms of content is the moment that they had to take this step back. Which completely, tra and, and not for nothing, we're not really seeing movies like Set It Off being made now. You've either got, if something like Set It Off was going to get made, you would have to either be made by uh, like an Edgar Wright. Like mm -hmm. Edgar Wright gets to make Baby Driver. Basically nobody else would get to make Baby Driver. You either have to make at a studio level you're basically looking at giant tent poles or you're looking at little, little releases that a lot of people don't even find. Right. So I suppose in that sense, there are less opportunities for anybody trying to get a part in a story like this because you're not seeing stories like this made yeah. quite as often. Right. I mean, I think that now we're having somewhat of a resurgence. Like I think that F Gary Gray is, or was the Jordan Peele of the nineties basically. Um, in that like Jordan Peele was doing a lot of small stuff and he made his debut with a, uh, a story that usually wouldn't get made at this point in time. And then it became a hit because the storytelling was the main aspect of it. it and so the, the studio was willing to take a quote unquote risk, sure. you know? Um, 
And so now, as since people are tired of recycled properties and, and reboots and, and things like that, we're able to kind of resurge with newer ideas and and more, I guess, edgy content. Edgy content. Edgy content. Who doesn't love edgy content? But so, okay, I brought up Baby Driver a second ago. Baby yeah. Driver was another movie I thought of at a couple of points in this movie. And it's not just because I think much like set it off does i think baby driver uses the exact same stock types as a basis and then really fleshes out their characters and personalities in interesting ways but mm-hmm. more specifically set it off did it first in as much as at numerous points every time cleo steals a car we get this really again another really fun quirky bit of personality where she goes through real quick goes through the cds everybody has and tosses them out the window which is is a fun specific detail but also speaks to how green these ladies are as far as being robbers oh yeah because if you're gonna do that every time you steal a car pretty quickly the police are gonna put together that it's probably the same person stealing these cars <laughs> um but i really like the reason she's doing that is she needs the good she needs good driving music oh yeah if she's gonna be the driver she's got to have her good driving tunes picked out and i was like oh baby driver yep uh, uh set it off did it first set it off is inspiring people it's a it's a sleeper hit People are missing out on it. This is a sleeper hit. Uh. <laughs> you gonna, gonna be all right? Do you, do no, you need that? Do you I'm, need I'm that? Vomiting I'm vomiting. Just I'm just throwing up from excitement. <laughs> it's it's all it's all gross inside. It's just all over my shirt now. Uh, that's it. Smells pretty awful. Uh, well, it's a good thing we're in an enclosed space. Uh, you get you get all my sense. I feel lightheaded. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Lex is gone, so now it's time for me to do the show by myself. Aw, oh, man. Set it off is so great. Um, the ending made me cry again. So talking about the ending, right? And we... Oh, he's back. I'm alive. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 here we go. Some, I'm smushed up against the table now <laughs> where I can't lift my head because of the sauce smell coming off Atari J. While I'm down here, though, let's talk about, let's talk about that ending. Yeah, let's I, talk we about We were it. talking before about... We, we really have only referenced TT in in passing, talking yeah. about some of the other characters. And, of course, her storyline is so dang sad as well. Her motivation is that, uh, you know, her son is taken away by social services after he has an accident while they're working. And she needs money so that she can create a decent environment for her son to live in so that she can go to court and say, yes, I can take care of my son. Ends up finally giving herself over because she doesn't participate in that first heist ends up finally giving herself over to to this life as it were and then once luther rips them off ends up killing him on reflex because she's she's nervous and and understandably so um ends up of course being shot and killed in a way that's so much like the shooting of darnell early in the movie feels so senseless yeah we're so close to everything de-escalating and even though the ladies would certainly go to jail once they surrendered in that bank mm-hmm. they'd be alive right and they'd, they'd maybe at least until you know they got sent wherever they get sent they'd at least still be together for a minute um but of course then you get that one cop who just flies in out of nowhere and like <laughs> it might as well he's like a flying plot device essentially yeah. just flies in out of nowhere and shoots tt and we get we get this death scene and what i thought was a really cool choice that i liked a lot we get this scene 
where they get TT out of there and she dies in Stoney's arms. But we don't hold the camera doesn't hold on TT in the moment of death. What I really liked is we hold on Stoney and we get it's a it's actually a fairly quick moment but we we hold and Jada gives this wonderful wonderful uh, nonverbal performance where you know she she talks TT into death essentially she's talking about the banana flambe yeah but she feels the moment where TT goes mm-hmm. and she doesn't look down Jada's looking up and you see in her eyes the moment that TT's gone yeah and I thought that was not just a really really excellent bit of performance from Jada but a really great choice on the part of F. Gary Gray because I feel like a lot of other movies would have held on TT instead and I feel like given the moment we got that would have ultimately been a weaker choice right also TT uh or Kim Elise Kimberly Elise um held her eyes open and played dead real well yes really well um, it like which it, seems like a weird compliment to give but I feel like a lot of people who've never had to play a dead body underestimate how difficult it can be to go that limp and right. to actually essentially remove life from your eyes yeah. if you're not in fact dead yourself right um, and she had to do it for so long. Like usually it, you'll get a 20 second scene, but like it is throughout that whole monologue where uh, Jada is talking about the flambe and it's, it, there's no, cl- like they're not slowly zooming in. It's just those two, her being dead and, and ha- having to like do that while Jada's giving this amazing performance is a feat in and of itself. Like I myself would have been like, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm so sad. Um, but she was able to pull it off. So like, but the caliber of acting in the whole movie is so immensely good. It, it boggles my mind just cause like this, the way the, the ending scene or like the last sequence was the most heart wrenching to me because they established such a deep friendship between the four of the girls. Like every moment of them hanging out felt so natural. It really does. It's like a lot of movies will tell you that characters are friends, but this movie, you really do feel the bond between, Mm -hmm. between them. And like one thing that I, I was thinking about, you know, like two thirds of the way through the movie is not that it felt it didn't feel long, but it felt so complete and rounded. And it feels like there is so much material in the movie. And a lot of it is character stuff that I feel like in a lot of movies now, and maybe even in 95, 96, when they were developing and getting ready to release this movie, I would not be surprised if F. Gary Gray maybe got some notes that were like, well, we can lose some of this stuff. Like, let's get, let's get things moving a little bit. But like, no, you really, really need to take all of that time like you say like with the the exception of the inciting incident we don't get to another bank robbery until about the hour mark yeah. in a two-hour movie mm-hmm. and like again like an executive might go well this is a bank robbery picture what are we doing all this not bank robbing for an hour <laughs> was you're crazy f gary you're crazy um but no you actually need all of that material because without it none of the rest of it matters right and it does it feels so authentic like i wonder you i have to imagine or maybe it's just a wishful thinking between takes 
that must have been a fun set, right? I would think because they these four ladies do so on on screen anyway do so genuinely seem to be enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like it's it was the first time for a lot of them working together. So just for them to have that much chemistry, like on screen and most likely out off screen, is amazing. And I I imagine because they haven't really worked together a lot since that movie. Like I think. Girls Trip is the first time we get Jada Pinkett and uh, Queen Latifah on screen together again. By the way, not for nothing, I have not, as of the recording of this episode, I have not seen Girls Trip, nor was I under the impression that I was really the audience for it. I keep hearing really excellent things about it. I keep hearing it referred to as the best studio comedy in years. Interesting. Which is... Which is exciting. I have not, as of yet, seen it. Maybe I'll go see it, and I'll be like, Tari J, you have to see Girl's Trip. Have you seen Girl's Trip? I, uh, I haven't yet. It's uh, I'm trying to see it this week. Whichever one of us sees Girl's Trip first, maybe we come back and talk about it. Yeah, I'm, it's actually... Because Girl's Trip came out at the same time, or is coming out at the same time, as that other movie that basically has the same premise, but is for white women instead. Um, I forget the name of it. It's something. Is it the Scarlett Johansson one? Yes. Where they kill the stripper? Right. Uh, rough Night. Yes, Rough Night. Um, which I hear do not they, good things wait, about. Wait, do they kill a stripper in Girls Trip? Uh, no, probably not. Oh, okay. Um, because we got class, brah. The, uh, Girls Trip is is a classy joint. You could, you could classily kill, you could poison him. Can you? With ars- arsenic and old lace is a classy story. Those old ladies kill the crap out of a bunch of dudes. <laughs> um, I don't think that that's how they do it. There's, it. A, there's a crazy guy in it that thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. That could be the Queen Latifah part. Oh, okay. Wouldn't I think you, she could not, pull it off. Not for nothing. I would pay good money to watch Queen Latifah not play Teddy Roosevelt, but play a <laughs> character who is convinced she was Teddy Roosevelt. I think she could pull it off. Oh, yes. she, she could crush it. No. This was something else I kept thinking about during the movie is like, I I don't see Queen Latifah in that many things. Yeah. And every time I see her in something, I go, oh, that's right. Queen Latifah is really good at acting. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. I feel like I feel like somehow every time I forget. So every time I see her in, in anything, I'm reminded again, like, oh, right. She's quite good. Yeah. Um, I feel like they, she doesn't get a lot of opportunities because, I mean, there aren't a lot of, she's, she's in Hollywood standards, she's a bigger girl and like, she is typically pigeonholed into like tough, uh, like, you know, bringing down the house kind of roles where it's, she's supposed to be super stereotypical and things like that. She's playing a type more than she's playing a person. Right. Um, and I think that which is not her fault. No, it's not. We, we know that sitting here that that's not a commentary on her. That's unfortunately a commentary on the lack of quality roles available to all women in Hollywood. Yes. especially women of color. Well, I mean, and that's the thing we keep bringing up how amazing these women are, and how like also how many things that they have been in and things like that. And it's it's a whole thing because we've already talked about how. Hollywood in general has this impression that like you can't sell a movie with uh, a full cast of black characters or full cast even a a diverse cast even a cast that isn't largely white now hopefully 
hopefully the fact that that myth still persists is mind-boggling yeah but if you look at the international success of something like the most recent Fast and the Furious movies, which mm-hmm. are predominantly non-white cast. If you look at, for example, how how well-received Girls Trip seems to be by, yeah. by demographics across the board. If you look at how rapturously excited everybody, everybody is for Black Panther. I, every, if you're listening and you're not excited for Black Panther, I want to sit down and, and talk because you confuse me and I would like to understand. <laughs> but point being, I feel like I feel like we got to be real close to this myth going away. Possibly. Got, I mean, because the evidence doesn't support it in the slightest. Right. You have to realize that, like, when it, when you give people the opportunity and they crush it almost every time. Almost every time. You have to realize that you're wrong. <laughs> it, it does make no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it it just goes away. Like, five years, we're going to look back and be like, we were so dumb. Hollywood was so dumb. Um, another thing, speaking of Queen Latifah, um, <laughs> you just like segued super hard. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I'm well. The whole thing is that like, well, I it's only a slight segue in that uh, Queen Latifah is in this movie. She's a lesbian, and no one really talks about it. Yeah, we don't really we don't comment on it at all. It's just it just is. Yeah, and I think that that is great and progressive and like the only person who makes any comment about it is luther and he's it's just because he calls her a dude um yes but other than that like her also for for 96 too yeah like obviously you could sit here today and go like well yeah well like why would they comment on it there are there are gay people it's not it's not a thing that we all need to stop the story to point out but for 1996 that's that's way progressive oh yeah and like i love that the biggest issue that they have is that her girlfriend doesn't talk that's like the only thing that they say about her relationship is that like she don't say nothing, right? Um, other than that, like she's allowed to just be herself, which in is another surprising thing because in the black community, a lot of the times I've, I've had conversations about this, and that like <sighs> I'm like emotionally preparing for this conversation. Okay, um, in the black community, uh, homosexuality isn't a thing that is very like talked about a lot like it's it's there's a, a, a bigger stigma in like than in general company because the uh gr- our, our our culture is very stemmed in uh christian religion and things like that because of uh how we've had to cling to religion in order to get through harder times and things of that sort and of course the so, sense of community that often comes with it right right um so for this to be a movie set in the hood with a bunch of black people and they're just like lesbians can be lesbians that it it is astonishing and it's really kind of heartwarming yeah yeah. But yeah, I I really commend the filmmakers for for treating it as 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 casually as they do mm-hmm. because there is no reason to call it out. Yeah, it like it doesn't it doesn't change anything about her character. It just, you know, is a part of her in the same way that like someone's sexuality is a part of them. Like it's not who they are, it's just what they like. And it also too though it's like then then though it in uh what is it through the prism 
of the conversation we're having, it does seem like that sex scene is there to assure everybody, no, but like this movie's super straight, you guys. Like <laughs> that is this sex scene is as straight as can possibly, but look at how straight it is. Look at how straight these two loving people are. Really? Because like we get we get that scene where uh, where Cleo's girlfriend is in fishnets and she's just like dancing and you're like yeah these two are a great couple. No, right, 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 right. But all of the, and all of that is there and all of that is really excellent. And again, all of that is not is not super on the nose and we don't have to we don't have to call it out or dwell on it. Right. But then. But then that other sex scene draws so much attention to itself <laughs> that, you, that somewhere in my brain I start to go like, you're just, you're just really trying to assert your straightness now. Yeah. Well, also... I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure that that was nobody's agenda <laughs> on this movie. No. I'm sure it really was just, let's make this as hot as possible. Well, yes. I think that, I think that at some point when they were putting it together, that scene, they're like, bro. We got Blair Underwood and Jada Pinkett, and we can have them as almost naked as possible. Yeah, let's yeah. let's let's keep it on this, bruh. And you're just like, look at them pecs. That those are those are Blair Underwood pecs. There is there is by the way a shot. Let's talk more about this sex scene. There's a <laughs> shot. It's the most important scene in the movie. There's a shot uh, of Underwood's face, like in close up, while I. Like, I assume based on the face he's making that he's meant to be climaxing in this moment. And then the sex scene goes on for like another two full minutes. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, because he finished, but she wasn't done yet. So as a courtesy. And that's how powerful Blair Underwood is. Is like, he's done, but he could go for another two straight days if he needed Hell to. Hell yeah. <laughs> they don't call him Underwood for nothing. That doesn't make sense. Nope. <laughs> you know there was a there's a penis joke in there somewhere somewhere yeah under underwood and really doesn't make any sense no like his name is underwood is your penis but like where do you think his dick is that he's under it no what <laughs> it's 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 like the wood that's under like under pants under wood come on but wood is a euphemism for an erection usually yes. no but how is he under unless he's under somebody else's wood maybe and or that's that's fine. But maybe it's a comment on someone else in that they are under his wood. Ah. Or it's a symbol that he has big balls because that is under his wood. So it's like... I see. Yeah. So it's real. It's like uh, Blair Enormous Testicles. And right. of course, there was already one in SAG. So he had to change his name. Of course. Yes. Yes. Um, so <laughs> we, can, we can make sure to reflect that on his <laughs> wiki page. But... <laughs> Um, okay, so did you have any other uh, comments before we wrap up? Uh, oh man, I, I mo mostly just that I I really liked this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I I feel like I don't necessarily have anything all that uh, eloquent or substantive to say beyond what we've already discussed. But yeah, yeah I was really really pleasantly surprised overall. Yeah. Um, I think my final takeaway about the movie, especially having mentioned that it was the first movie that like made me realize that the world is sad, um, because all of almost all of your protagonists die by the end of the movie. I'm Spoiler also I'm alert. really I'm trying to think now. What was the first movie that made me realize the world was sad? And I can't. I really couldn't tell you in this moment. But the first one popping into my head is Lion King. Yeah. The one that because it came well, out yeah. when I was when I was real young and mm -hmm. obviously, you know, like 
Mufasa dies. Yes. And so it was it's a like, very sad scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's the movie that taught us all that if you're not careful, your uncle's going to kill your dad. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Watch out for them them dad killing uncles. <laughs> um, but the movie reminded me of this conversation I was having with a coworker of mine when we were going through the list of movies we should do for this show specifically. Um, and as we were going through the list, uh, we realized that in a lot of the movies that uh, me and this other person who was also black grew up with, the protagonists die a lot. Um, it's a very big, common, reoccurring theme in a lot of movies with predominantly black casts set in hoods and things like that. That's, now that I'm um, thinking about it, like most of the ones that I'm familiar with, especially from that, that era, like the first half, and change of the 90s. Yeah. A lot of the big ones, a lot of the ones that are now considered classic movies of that subgenre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Usually your protagonists don't make it through most of your protagonists, or at least one primary protagonist ends up not making it in a very right. pronounced way. Yeah. And they usually end up dying in someone else's arms in some really sad, gut-wrenching manner. And, and it's like... And it feels like, especially this movie, feels like uh, just kind of a one story out of many of people who are fighting against an unjust world that they have to live in. And it, I think that is what gets to me the most about it, because I think I, everyone's motivation, I feel, I understand, I've, I've known someone who has felt that way, and I get the, the just the the rage and the anger that that leads them to these moments and these decisions and things of that sort you know and 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 that that moment when you see the the little brother killed unjustly and things of that sort and and so like this movie seeing it again it like reminds me of all of those feelings and living with the the knowledge of an unjust world and having to kind of muddle your way through it, and 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 kind of, uh, I guess, conti- contextualize it in some way, which I feel like this movie does. It takes all these disparate stories of people just trying to make it through this world, and essentially points them in a direction which is a bank robbery. Yeah, and and like I was saying pretty early in this conversation, it maybe the aesthetic feels a little bit dated. It feels to look at it, it feels like a 90s movie. Yeah. But the subject matter and the motivations still feel almost uncomfortably relevant. Yeah. Um so I I personally would recommend this movie to anyone who hasn't seen it and the people who have seen it. Um it sounds like you also would do the same. Uh, for sure. And with with the the emphasis on I figured I would like it fine. I was really, really pleasantly surprised by this movie. Yeah. Um, so let uh, if you've uh, people at home, if you had the chance to take a, uh, a look at the movie, let us know what you thought uh, at Missing Outcast. So tweet us. Uh, you can also tweet our personal Twitters. Mine is Tari J. Uh, and his is at the Lex Michael. Uh, and you can also go on to iTunes uh, and tell us what you think of the show. Uh, tell us how much you love all our weird banter and tell us what you think Blair Underwood's name really means. Um, I, 
and if you can, uh, shoot us a rating. Five stars would really help us get to the top of the charts and let other people who are your friends or not your friends find this podcast and also enjoy all these delicious, delicious jokes and movies and musical things. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Um, so with that said, I have been Tari. I have been Lex. Yeah. I stole that from the Empire podcast. I see. I'm a podcast joke stealer. Well, now, now everybody knows who to snitch to. Yep. Tell them, tell the Emperor Empire podcast (laughs) about our podcast. It can only be good press. Thanks. Thanks.